Hello and welcome to the Field of Design podcast for your news, stories and nonsense from the sports apparel and sports creative industry. My name is Mason and with me is Nick Bassett. Evening, lads. And Kit Lushev. No creative little nickname tonight. No, I panicked. I was, no, I panicked. I did. Okay. <laughs> I had something ready to go and then I got there and I went, oh, shit, I'm not ready. Anyway, we'll keep going. I'll save it for next week. Yeah, I'm sure it was a ripper. <laughs> oh, it was great. Um, and that's why we keep our notes in front of us, hey, Nick? <laughs> yeah. Notes are important. Otherwise, you forget things like that. Uh, today is not much of news, not much of nonsense, but a good lot of stories. Uh, we're going to do a bit of a interview episode with one of our co-hosts today, Nick Bassett. That's me. Um, that is you. So uh, we will just say, um, whilst whilst today we won't be jumping into anything topical, if you would like to keep up with any of the visual references from our show, you can by following the link in the podcast app's episode description. Otherwise, follow us at Instagram at Field of Design Podcast for highlights from our show. You can get in touch with us via Instagram or via email at fieldofdesignpodcast at gmail.com. It seems very excited for this one too, so. He's pumped. I am excited, but just to give everyone a little bit of a background, Nick refused to start the podcast until he had his notes about him. So Nick needs notes to be questioned about his life. So that's why I might be a little snarly. You're full of fun today, mate. Well, why don't we get started? According to those notes, Nick. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Let's talk about um, growing up. Uh, I'll just get them out, Kit. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Growing up, mate, uh, as far as design interests, sport interests goes, why don't you give a bit of an insight into that? Uh, Yeah, I was born in New Zealand, um, in Auckland, and my parents were sailors, kids taking notes, which is good to see. Um, So yeah, I guess, you know, them being into sports, I was always into sport. My first public outing was um, at the America's Cup 95, so I was introduced to sport from a young age. My first sporting memory was probably waking up in 99 when I was about four years old to watch the All Blacks versus England at the... Rugby World Cup. Um, and then from about six, I started playing rugby. Um, was always sort of drawing rugby players and boats and stuff. And obviously that led to deliveries on the boats and the jersey designs. And mm-hmm. um, said to my mum at six that I was going to design for Adidas and play for the All Blacks in a jersey that I'd designed. So half of that came true, I guess, in terms of getting into the industry. Yeah, so you played um, for the All Blacks. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably get a game from it at the moment, actually. <laughs> in the world, aren't we? Terrible. So rugby was, I know in New Zealand it's a bit of an institution, right? But was that just uh, everyone else was loving it so you fell in love with it too or you naturally uh, were gravitated nah. towards it? Naturally, it was just what I did. I rem- remember playing you know in the backyard a full game where I was all 30 players and I'd put draw numbers on paper and cut them out and tape them to the back of my shirt and 
and do all that. So my dad built uh, a little goalpost that was about two meters high so I could goal kick by the time I was three. And um, we had a picnic table as well, and he built a, a boat out of that. So he put a mast in it and bought me some, like, tarpaulin sails and put all the, like, fittings and ropes on it because he was a boat builder. So, um, yeah, I was definitely that sporty kid that was always outside with, with a rugby ball or um, on my picnic table boat. Yep. And and then so where does the uh, where does the design element of that come in? You You said that you... You told your mum that you were going to design the All Blacks jersey that you would one day play in. Uh, where was the design side of that? I guess the whole time I was just always interested in drawing. I'd always draw the boats that were in the America's Cup or I'd draw rugby players and obviously they were wearing jerseys, so I'd design them. And um, Looking back a few years ago when I sort of moved to Australia, I found a whole bunch of the stuff that my mum had kept and um some pretty awesome stuff from sort of 20 years ago where there's like four different a4s and they all connect to each other mm-hmm. to make the full boat or the full sort of rugby scene so i was always into that kind of stuff um and i guess yeah throughout school just took design the whole time because that's what i enjoyed doing mm-hmm. so through school and and then into tertiary education yeah, through school, um, I did sort of like graphic design, so it was more architecture and product design, and I dabbled with going that in that way in, in university. Um, then I saw it would take eight years, so I was like, fuck that. Went to media <laughs> design school, um, which is like a specialist design school in, in Auckland, uh, so I didn't really get that full university experience. Um, yeah, majored in motion graphics and a bachelor of media design, so I sort of learned 3D animation and uh, video editing, all the standard sort of graphic design stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the appeal was always there for sports apparel? Yeah, always there. It was always sort of what I wanted to do behind the the scenes and 90% of my projects at university were based on sport somehow, whether it was, you know, looking at... Um, there was one project I did. I saw a highlights video of Rob Gronkowski, the former Patriots tight end, and just the way sort of he built you up and he made you sort of feel that sort of excitement and intensity. I based my whole um, uni project on like expressions of energy because of that one highlights video. So I built everything around sport, um, but obviously, you know, at uni you have to toe the line a little bit mm-hmm. and were you in a community of sports creatives through your secondary and tertiary education do you think or were you a bit of an outlier not really definitely i wasn't your typical design art student that sort of very creative thinking kind of yeah that kind of person i was always more just get what i had to do done but um, with a very clear vision of where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably the, the best mate I had at uni was uh, a big sports fan as well. So uh, we yep. got on pretty well. Yeah. And so what other sports were you kind of into? I uh, played rugby from six till about 20. Played American football from 
sort of 16 till about 25 when I moved here. So um, those were the two major ones. And then football, cricket, sailing, they're all in there at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And any interest to pursue those seriously? You talked, you know, you said to, you said to your mum about playing for the All Blacks. Yeah, rugby kind of that dream ended at about thirteen when in South Auckland all the Polynesian guys hit puberty and 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 I didn't. <laughs> so we um, I sort of uh, became not as good as I was very quickly from about 13 years old. Um, before then I was pretty, pretty decent. Um, American football was great fun. Uh, played, you know, upgrades my whole sort of career there. I went to the like Colts, which was 17 to 20 when I started at 16 and then went up to the seniors a year early. Um, the goal kicking sort of led me to get in touch with kicking coaches over in the U S and try and work on, getting scholarships over there um for a kicker it's it's bloody hard to get a scholarship so um it was always sort of a, a big pipe dream but it was there for for all blacks you mean well for for kicking in for kicking U- u.s college football or obviously the nfl is the big dream yeah at the end of the day so you was you were speaking to people you were being coached by people over in the u.s uh, it was all all local in in New Zealand. I did combines and sort of workouts for Washington State and Arkansas Razorbacks, uh, BYU. So there was a few there. Um, I had contact with a former NFL kicker who was a a kicking coach at the time, who sort of told me that I had Division One ability, but obviously getting a scholarship from the other side of the world it's pretty difficult and then you break a couple of bones and they're not going to look at you after that the dream's over yeah how did you break your bones what bones were they <laughs> broke my left ankle uh playing quarterback in a game when i was about god 18 uh, and then broke my wrist in training just before the semi-finals a couple of years later um which was a how far could you kick a ball, Nick? Uh, I had YouTube videos up, so you could probably see, but there's ones of me there kicking 57, 58 yards. Nice. But, I've shared an office with you before and had to sit through hours of you showing me the YouTube video, so I'm surprised it hasn't popped up. Um, <laughs> Fuck, here we go. I show um, them one, one touchdown. Is there a history of like any kickers heading to college from New Zealand? Not so much New Zealand, definitely from Australia. Mostly punters, though. The the sort of kickers don't really get a look in. Um, obviously, with AFL, punting's pretty pretty big. They yeah. definitely look at them. Um, there are stories of, like, there's a South African rugby player. He was a first five goal kicker for, for the Springboks. He went into the NFL, played one game, got one kick, and then thought, fuck that. That's boring. So he left pretty quickly. Um, and then the Patriots chased Dan Carter for a little bit. But, um, yeah, not so much in terms of Kiwis who actually make it as skill position players or, or kickers. They're more the, the linemen. Are you saying there's a difference between punters and kickers? 
There is in the NFL and the American football world, yeah. They specialize in, in both. Oh, yeah. So would you have someone who's good at both? You could do, but generally in the NFL, there's, there's one for each. <laughs> so I guess you, you'd know Pat McAfee, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was a, um, a kicker in university in college football, um, and he got drafted by the Indianapolis Colts, who had Adam Vinatieri, who's one of the greatest of all time, as a kicker. So they looked at him and said, can you punt? And he couldn't. He'd never punted. Um, well, he had, but not as as well as his kicking. And um, yeah, learned to be a punter and became one of the sort of most famous punters for his antics and hits he put on on the field. So for our uneducated listeners, can you explain just quickly what the difference is between a kicker and a punter? So punter, like a drop punt, right? You kick it out of your hands on fourth down. It's kind of like the sixth tackle in, in league where if you don't make your 10 yards in your first three downs, the fourth down, you kick it away, punt mm-hmm. it down the other end. Um, and then kickers are the guy who kicks off the start of the game or, or obviously kicks the field goals so the snap down to the holder um they hold it and and then the kicker has the kick and and that's actually something that was really different to learn was when you're lining up a ball in rugby obviously you can see it on the tee in front of you when you're lining it up in american football the ball's not there so you don't know where it's going to be when you kick it and so what were you you were the kicker i was both in my teams um yeah yeah, because you know, big win. <laughs> I was that and a wide receiver as well, um, because obviously numbers in New Zealand are a bit, a bit lower. You don't have the specialized <laughs> specialist players. Yeah, but from a college US college perspective, they were looking at you for um, for kicking. Oh, yeah, I was definitely just going after kicking. I didn't really enjoy punting. I didn't think I was that good at it. So you were rattling off before stats and players around can do this, can do that. Um, we've, we've joked early on that you're our walking internet, our walking historian for European football kits. Where does that come in? Um, I guess from a young age, it was always rugby that I knew. So at like five, six, seven, I could name players from any team in any world and I could just rattle them off and there were the TV shows with trivia questions and I remember once there was this try scored from five years previous or whatever and I was like eight or nine at the time so it must have been four or five when the try was scored um, and I just said the answer straight away to my dad when this trivia question was asked on the show he's like how the fuck do you know that son <laughs> <laughs> yeah those words and all <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah that's how, exactly how he talked to me. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, as I grew older, you know, the football love came and I learned what I could, where I could, and obviously kits were inter- always interesting to me. So I looked back at teams and, and kits and a mate of mine back home, he, he met, <laughs> I can't hold a candle to him on European football kit history. So um got to thank him a little bit too he's the kind of guy who could sort of name a sponsor from Aston Villa in 1993. Like he'd go into that much detail. And what, who was the sponsor for Aston Villa in 1993? 
ask him. Uh, okay. <laughs> so we've hired the wrong person, Kit. Luckily, yeah, he's got no design talent. <laughs> <laughs> um, mate, I'm surprised so far we haven't mentioned your most passionate, most successful sporting career of all, singles champion, nationals champion, um, laser tag. So where did all this come from? Oh, God. My first job in high school was at a laser tag place. Um, so they knew I was a sporty kind of guy, so they said come down to a, a league night, a, you know, a members' night, and come and train with the guys who play week in, week out. So did that. Didn't really care about it for a couple of years. I'd be the guy showing up in jeans and canvas shoes, and they're all in there, like, training gear. Um. The Nationals was in New Zealand at the site I worked at that year, 2014. Um, I didn't play because I was too like scared of not being good enough and didn't want to play. And It was just after I'd broken my leg as well, so I was coming back from that. Um, the home team won, so my mates won that. Uh, then they went to World Champs, and that's probably when it sort of clicked for me. Okay, yeah, let's play properly. So I went to my first Nationals and... 2015 um went to world champs in 2017 in france and then i've yeah, just been playing ever since and obviously was away at australasian champs a couple of weeks ago um and yeah my team came second and i managed to somehow win the solos event so that was a pretty big surprise and so um laser tag traditionally has quite a esports look and feel to it i yeah, imagine the involvement of you in in those jerseys and those designs came in pretty quickly too yeah yeah so i always sort of say laser tags kind of like where the esports gamer nerd meets like the sports guy um so all the logos and team jerseys are, are kind of um related to esports in a way and and there's a cool vibe and a cool sort of aesthetic to to that. Obviously, you know, in the world of professional sports, it, the logos are very different, but it's cool for what they do and they, they stream it all on Twitch and stuff. So, yeah, you get the logos out there and and stuff. So I'd imagine you're it's a pretty small community, Nick, so you're known as the guy to go to when a team needs a new logo or a new kit design yeah i guess over the years i've sort of become the the go-to guy for for logos or one of them there's a, a guy from adelaide who's, who's really good at it as well um but yeah i've had teams from the us and, and europe ask me as well so that's <laughs> gotten my work sort of halfway around the world what would you say would be your most favorite or best laser tag design that you've done um Oh, this this year I had three or four that I was pretty happy with. Um, my own team's always the one that I sort of try to go all out on, obviously. Um, so this year our Spartans design was was super simple and the laser tag shirts. But um, I remember trying to do a like a Stade Francais rugby kind of my own take on that back in 2017 for my team. So that was interesting. Was that the acid uh, drop type one? Nah, it was the. I'll show you later. It's it's the one that was sort of pop arty with yeah. clouds and the 
lightning bolts and all the trees through it and stuff. Um, yeah. And then 2017, <clears throat> it was in the Sunshine Coast, and we did like a Baywatch kind of themed one with the Miami beach colors. So, um, yeah, there's been plenty. Yeah. I think this year I did like 14 or something out of 14. the 24, out of the 24 teams I had a part in. Wow. <laughs> I won't be doing it again. That's for sure. <laughs> and are, are these paid gigs or are you do them out of the kindness of your heart? This year it was all through actual actually working at game so i guess they were paid as in they were my job but i have charged on and off in the past i think the best one i did was i sold 55 shirts to the finnish championships and made a grand out of it so when i wasn't charging and when i was working 20 hours a week that was pretty exciting to me to make that much that easily brilliant not, not much commission no. So you talk I about. I, was, I think I was charging 35 euros a shirt and I was getting them for 17 euros or something. So selling 55 was pretty good. Yeah. So you talk about game. Um, I think it might have been 2017 that you, I recall there was first an email come via my inbox of young God. Nick Bassett looking <laughs> for a job. Um, which didn't eventuate at the time, did it? But then, what was it, 20, 2019, late 2019? Yeah, I guess I sent another email. I think you guys were, or Game was looking at the time, um, but I hadn't seen the job advertisement or anything, so it was just another email out of the blue, and lucky for me, Game was looking at the time, and um, I think being a Kiwi and stuff, it sort of meant I was third or fourth on the list, but managed to to be one of the two that that got hired yeah and if i recall it was a bit of a short turnaround in the end i think we don't need to go into all the the recruitment details but we pretty much asked you to pack up pretty quickly and and make your way over pretty quickly didn't we yeah i um i didn't really have anything holding me in new zealand obviously family and stuff but there was no commitments other than than that so where I was working at the laser tag place, they always knew how, this is what I wanted to do. So that was pretty easy to leave. Um, and yeah, within two weeks of being offered the job and signing the contract, I had moved countries and, and it started three days later. Put your foot in the door. Yeah. Um, what year was that, Nick? Uh, the, the sort of hiring process was like December 2019. And then... Um, the 29. So how old are you at this point? 20, 24 at that point. Um, I moved okay. over on the last day of January 2020 and it started by the 3rd of February, I think. So I just turned 25, like two weeks after I started at game. So a few years out of uni by this point? Yeah, five years out of uni. I finished uni when I was 20. So yeah. it took me a while, so, but um, yeah, I was so very I like, someone, specific. Someone would ask someone as dead set keen on you know, your dream and your ambition as you, why has it taken five years for you to, to get in the industry? Obviously, oh, yeah. we've, we've seen your talent, um, you know, your motivation. What, what, what did those five years, you know, comprise of? So I, I probably wasn't as sort of pushy as I could have been with, with certain things. Obviously, you know, we talk about me just cold email, emailing game and stuff, and, and I did that occasionally. Um, 
applied for jobs here and there, but I was always very specific in that I wanted to be a sports clothing designer. So I wasn't applying for just regular design jobs or anything else that didn't really interest me. Um, and then, you know, everything requires two years experience, even if you're a junior. So someone's got to give that to me eventually. And yeah, it took a long time. Um, but I was sort of comfortable where I was working at laser tag and it wasn't groundbreaking money or groundbreaking hours, but it was pretty chill life and I could take time off to go to tournaments whenever I wanted and stuff. So, um, and you, you didn't see the, the sort of places that you think you could find yourself, you know, wanting to work at in, in New Zealand. Was that an issue? Yeah, that was another one. Um, most of the sort of sports clothing design places, obviously a lot comes out of Asia and then, there's your handful in, in Australia. So I was definitely, I think I applied for jobs in Adelaide and Sydney. I had interviews with jobs in Sydney and stuff and Melbourne. Um, WA was another one. I'd always known about game because they did a lot of the laser tag shirts. Um, so game had known who I was since 2015 when I'd started sending them designs. Um, but yeah, in New Zealand, I think there's, there's one or two that sort of, I remember having an interview for one in New Zealand. I can't even remember who it was now. It's funny because Dynasty's head office is actually in Auckland. Yeah, exactly. And I only, I think Mason and I talked about when I sort of first met him and we sort of started talking about things that they just popped up out of nowhere and were in the NRL. And, um, and obviously we learned at the time that it was sort of, people from other companies coming together to make their own so yeah well i dare say we'll, we'll speak a little bit more about them in a bit um yep kit, kit does raise a, a decent point though you know there there was a bit of a gap between your tertiary education and then getting into the industry did you ever have a concern that it might have been slipping away from you um not really. I knew I just needed someone to take a punt on a clear and obvious passion. Um, <laughs> I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the sort of technical knowledge, really. Obviously, doing all the laser tag shirts taught me a, a lot about different things. Um, but, yeah, I, I knew that one day, like, the passion and the obvious... Um, drive to just do that one specific niche thing would be seen by someone and they'd take that punt we did just we did um sweep over something before which was the work that you were doing for the laser tag stuff your freelancing stuff so yeah can you maybe jump in a little bit more dive in a little bit deeper as to what it was exactly that you were doing while you were just you know freelancing yeah well, it started um pretty low-key i just design a shirt on a 2d like template off google and then send it to someone like game or or an asian company and just be like can you make this um and were you just googling and finding places or did you have putting game aside obviously you knew of game but yeah were you scouring for suppliers or did you just google on and go oh, this mob will do um i'd through the laser tag scene, you sort of hear of different places people use, and so there's four or five different places I'd heard of, and one always seemed to get good reviews from people. They were always quite happy with their gear, so um, along with game, um, this one in Asia that I went to as well was, was pretty good. Um, 
And a few years sort of into it, the company I was going to in Asia, I st- started asking, could I, you know, do some pattern making? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they sort of just let me make my own patterns and they'd grade them for me and, and put them across all sizes. And so they effectively gave me license to do whatever I wanted. Um, I could pick the materials out and they sent me color swatches and material books and, and all of that. So I was getting pretty deep into the garment construction at that point and, and learning about different things. So you weren't just designing to a CAD as such, you you were actually yourself getting the knowledge of designing to a, a pattern or a 3D space. Yeah, yeah. So I'd, I, it was pretty rudimentary what I was doing. I was taking their standard T-shirt pattern and then cutting out bits of it and putting it on, you know, putting the pieces of the front onto the back and cutting out different parts. And they probably weren't the best patterns because I had no idea what I was doing, but they sort of gave an idea of what I wanted and they always came out looking pretty cool. Yeah. They charge you extra for that type of stuff or would you just? Not really. It was, they never gave me a discount when I was sort of asking for, you know, oh, I come to you guys, you know, for 14 teams a year here. Can you do a better price for me? But they always did whatever I asked of them, yeah. Okay, so we go back to game. Yep. So for those that may have been paying closer attention, you you, <laughs> you decided to or you agreed to to move over and pick up your life and, and come to Australia at yep. the start can of twenty twenty. So can I jump in and ask Mason, you obviously hired Nick. What was your first impression in the interview? Was there any concerns? Did anything stick out about him? No, without going through the the full recruitment process or what we were particularly looking for, the things that stuck out to me was um, talented, ambitious, passionate. Mm. Those were the things that, you know, from what I got from his resume and from when we, I think we jumped on a Zoom or something like that before Zooms were were popular. (laughs) We were were a few months ahead of time. Um, You're amazed that I could use Got that technology right, oh, mate. <laughs> no, I knew what I knew now. now. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, but yeah, just the 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 passion that I could see. Um, you know, without sounding a bit wanky, like I I just saw in him some of the things that I had in myself. You know, the ambition and and the desire to do more and and go further than just chucking artwork on a on a computer screen or a sheet of paper. So. Yeah. A version of yourself before this industry chewed you up, spat you out and wore you down, right? When I had a whole head of hair, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) I was always the glass half full one in the team apparently, Uh, even though I never saw myself like that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the the glass half empty guy and you're the glass half full guy. Uh, So you move over in February of 2020. Yep. Uh, side note, I think you requested some annual leave two weeks after you started, which we allowed you to take. <laughs> it, it was <laughs> it was three weeks after I started. Um, exactly the same as a, a recent story I could tell. Very yeah, interesting. Yes, I started a job and three weeks later I was off to a laser tag championships and I might have done that three weeks ago as well. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, listeners will know because they'll they'll be seeing the uh, title of the the episode, so they'll already get an idea of what what we're hinting to here. But <laughs> don't bury um, the lead; we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so, so then the obvious happens. March comes around, and some awkward conversations and some more awkward realizations start to uh, happen at game and and also just in general around in the, the world. world. Um, talk us through. That's COVID. If we need to spell it out for you at home, <laughs> COVID dash one nine. Talk us through your mentality at that point. What you were, what you were thinking when, you know, uh, the industry pretty much hit a handbrake. Um, conversations start happening around stand downs. No, no information at this point in time around the Australian government's. Uh, COVID um, support plans. What what was going through your head at that point? Yeah, I guess the first sort of, I suppose throughout February and March, it was kind of a punchline, wasn't it? You know, this this virus we hear about is is overseas, but same as like meningococcal or or whatever, it wasn't going to hit New Zealand and Australia. Um. What was it? Ebola? Ebola, swine flu, SARS. Yes. They they sort of never hit New Zealand and Australia, so it was sort of a punchline to us. Um, Then, yeah, March, April hit, and you're like, shit, this is real, you know? And for the two weeks where you actually watch the news, having not watched the news in the last 10 years prior, you get a little bit scared, and and things are definitely getting serious. Um, My dad's telling me, like this is serious come home and that's not something he would ever say you know he was always like oh son harden up you know um, yeah. so uh that that took me by surprise him saying that um and then obviously yeah work sort of shut down everyone yeah. at work's telling me um you know might be best to go home here you know <laughs> so so i'm sitting there thinking shit i've come here spent all my money that I've gotten savings and um, moved to a different country and two months later, am I going to have to go home and and effectively have no money and no chance of a job because the world's locked down? Mm. Um, I was, yeah, humming and hiring for a week or two and I just thought, fuck it, something's going to happen here. Something will happen for me. Um, so I stayed and three days later, they or I decided to sort of stay and three days later, the Australian government sort of said job keeper would be a thing and, and um that they were gonna include New Zealanders, which thankfully they did for me. Um so yeah, the fact that that happened and I know I was in Australia for COVID rather than New Zealand, I think I'm way better off than I would have been had I had gone back home and been involved in that sort of scheme over there and having no job to come back to, so or not even a bed or or anything. I still had a car, so that was good. I mean, especially Auckland was the the real epicenter of uh, COVID in New Zealand, right? Obviously. Yeah. So obviously they had their month hard lockdown almost immediately, um, and then Auckland was in and out of lockdowns for a good six months after that. Because New Zealand was actually the first place, wasn't it? They were the, they were the first country to pretty much. Uh, stop all flights, lock everything down, and I think Australia mm. followed suit no more than two days later. Yeah. No, New Zealand went pretty hard straight away. Um, they went for a month, had their 
full lockdown where you couldn't leave home and and stuff like that um nothing was open whereas in australia when we sort of had our lockdown you know a lot of things were still open you just got encouraged to stay at home almost i remember because obviously i've got family and whatnot in new zealand so i try and keep up with what's happening over there and the big thing I'd notice is like all the fast food shops were closed down, but it seemed like yeah. you know even in Australia you'd still be able to go through Maccas and get and get a feed whilst you know Kiwis yeah, yeah. Kiwis well, seem to right. love Kentucky fried um, chicken. And uh... <laughs> I was at home with with my flatmate, you know, and he was working from home, and I'd just jump in the office with him and design football kits to keep myself sane. Um, and yeah, we'd just go and get KFC for lunch sometimes, or, or go to Maccas and that was normal for us you know we could go for a drive or, or go for a walk whereas sounded like new zealand was you go outside you almost get you know on the spot in trouble so a couple of questions on that just quickly what was your living arrangements when you first came to australia was it just flatmates yeah so obviously through laser tag um brisbane's actually kind of the epicenter of world laser tag so i had a lot of friends here already um spent the three weeks before nationals with a friend and then moved up from south brisbane to north thankfully i was doing 90 minute one-way trips from work to or home to work so thankfully i moved about 10 minutes away from from game um with with a couple i lived with um he was from wellington and, and she was a brisbane local so Yep. Great couple to live with, good good friends they become. And then uh, what was Game's response in terms of you working? Was it completely sort of had to stand you down and just rely on the government yeah. payment or were you working part-time? Nah, Game, um, what was it? probably went to a sort of a skeleton crew. There was probably, what, six or seven working Mason out of the 30 or 40 that were were there um with, without going into too much detail and yeah i wasn't working at all for about four months i think or was it four i don't know if it was quite four maybe it was what was it probably april to july maybe <clears throat> oh, i think we were back before um, june yeah okay i think we predicted we wouldn't be back till july but it was yeah, okay. it ended up being a, a bit earlier than that i think it was closer yeah. to the start of june somewhere around there um, yeah, <clears throat> now it was it was lucky for me because obviously you know I said I'd been hired as one or two designers and luckily I was the one who came back after the the break. So um, yeah, I yeah, definitely went my way. <laughs> I definitely felt a sense of responsibility outside of uh, outside of games. You know, standard. You know, I suppose um, structure. <laughs> Uh, bringing you, you know, what what, what did you say? We're 25, 20, 26-year-old coming over from New Zealand by yourself. I had a sense Two of responsibility. Notice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a sense of responsibility there to um, ensure that, yeah, you were somewhat looked after. <laughs> it all worked out. Okay, so so we, 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 we come back to work after lockdown. Yep. Um, and you you have some news that you need to share with me yeah i guess so we um, had a, we had a difficult conversation one morning or one afternoon yeah so obviously 2020 being covid it was shit for everyone um but in 2 months after i move over from new zealand 
I get told that my mum's got stage four bowel cancer um, and that she's got six months if she's lucky. Yep. And we start having conversations around um, you going back home. We know at this point in time, we don't even know if you can get home with lockdown still happening in New Zealand. Um, But you decide, obviously, um, that (laughs) you're going to try and get there. Yeah. So I sort of decided, oh, you know, if she's stupid thinking back on it now, but if she's got six months, okay, I'll wait for and I'll go back for the last two. You know, stupid to think of it that way. Yeah. Um, so she had all her surgeries and nothing worked. And uh, what was it? By June, it was looking pretty dodgy. And okay, my family's like, okay, now you actually have to get home now. So I um, book a flight for sort of the end of July. Um, and mid-July, I think it was July 13th, um, I get the call. Okay say goodbye to your mum she's not lasting till tomorrow um so yeah i got that call said goodbye um and then the next day at work i sort of say okay mum's gone i need to try and get an earlier flight back home um luckily in new zealand could get me on an earlier flight but then i still had two weeks of of quarantine to do um, so I guess, yeah, the last time I sort of saw my mum was the day I moved here. And um, I guess that's a good way to remember it, though. I didn't have to watch her deteriorate or anything. I, I saw her, you know, proud of her son with a smile on her face, watching him go follow his dreams. I can't even fathom what it must be like to... Did, did your mum see you off at the airport? Yeah, I had mum and aunties and cousins and my sister there. So, so yeah, you're uh, you're off to Australia, which isn't uncommon for Kiwis. Um, you know your situation, especially you, you know chasing your boyhood dream, and you're full of excitement and probably a little nervous. And you know you're almost flying the nest. I'm not sure if you still live yeah. at home at this point. Nah, I didn't didn't live at home, but. Um lived in a house that was owned by my uncle and and he lived next door so pretty much (laughs) pretty close to family and stuff at that so you've you've flown the nest and and you're excited and then you get slapped in the face you know with this covid situation which the rest of the world did but obviously your circumstances are different because you've you know you've, you've spent savings you've you've relocated you're nervous enough starting a new job and then I can't even I can't even fathom what it must have been like to you know get that initial phone call, which is obviously you know no one wants to hear, and I can only imagine how confronting it would have been. And then you know to get that phone call saying that you know you, you've probably got a matter of days must have just yeah must have just been a, a you know a slap in the face, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, mum was super strong throughout it, and. You know, I was able to be, um, but it was that call that, okay, say goodbye now. Like, that was when it hit me. Um, and, yeah, that was sort of when I broke down. Um, thank thank God, like, my sister had 
we lived in different cities, my sister and myself and and my mum. So my sister and I lived together. Um, just by chance, she had a university placement up where my mum lived. So for the last sort of four months, they were living together um, when I moved to Australia. So thank God my sister was there to sort of, you know, be with her and then obviously look after her for the last couple of months. I mean, to me, having having got to know you and, uh, you know, we'll touch on that in a little bit, um, you know, how, how we've got to know each other a bit more, but, um, you know, it just speaks it speaks a lot of your character and resilience and, and strength, I guess, to, you know, a lot of people probably would have just gone, you know, that's it, you know, I can't deal with this, I need to go back home, familiar faces and, you know, where I'm comfortable, um, you know, I tried, I tried setting off and, and you know, chasing my goal, but nah, a lot of people would have just packed up their toys and jumped on the plane and gone back to Auckland. But, you know, the vibe I've gotten from you is that you've sort of almost taken it the opposite way where, you know, you want to make it, you, you want to make the dream, you want to make the goal because of, in a way, because of some of the stuff that's happened. Yeah, I've, I've always sort of, not necessarily, but I think priding myself is the wrong way to put it, but I've always been very good at sort of just going about what needs to be done, no matter what's in the background. So, uh, okay, I probably should have gotten back sooner and, and seen her in person, but... Um, I mean, hindsight's a brilliant thing. Yeah, right? perfect, right? But, um, yeah, I, I I am able to just keep going effectively and and deal with things as i do things i i don't think i took a day off work um i took the thursday off to fly back to new zealand um the day after she died but i worked the saturday after that so i took the thursday off work the friday and saturday to make up for the thursday so um no no i I, by the way i had nothing else to do in lockdown so i worked and yeah, I I always sort of feel a sense of responsibility to the people I work for or just people who are relying on me to, to get the job done. So whatever's going on in my life, okay, it's rough, but I've got a job to do or I've got people who I've made a promise to or, you know. It sounds a little cheesy, but I I feel the same and... You know, I get the feeling Mason does too, and I think a little bit might stem from, you know, growing up and playing team sports your whole life, where where that's the ethos, right? Is that, you know, if you're not, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're not doing your job, you're letting everyone else down. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I guess it's just that sense of, yeah, responsibility, and my dad always sort of pushed that into me, and um. It was always, you know, the old school, harden up, be tough, but also, you know, look after your family and and stuff like that. So how was lockdown? Going back, flying back yep, to New spent Zealand? spent two weeks in quarantine. It was great. Um, could wake up, walk two metres to work, and then uh, food would arrive at your door th- three times a day. So that was the life. I couldn't go outside much, but um, it wasn't bad. Food was all right. So you had Uh, lockdown both sides, right? Yeah, I had to do the hotel quarantine both ways. Uh, And then while I was in New Zealand, I think I had 
got two weeks of sort of freedom and then like the Auckland area went back into lockdown for another three months. So yeah, I was stuck at home for the, th- well, I was stuck in Whangarei, which with my sister, my dad lives in a different city and then my extended family lives in Auckland. So it was just me and my sister in Whangarei for three months stuck there, not able to see any family. How was it going back to New Zealand? Yeah, different from Queensland and, and what you're able to do. Obviously, COVID was pretty chill in Queensland from what I remember. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, obviously seeing family was great and you, I knew what I was going back to with everyone being stressed out and a bit down from obviously losing my mum and, and someone's auntie and, you know, a sister and a cousin and stuff. Um, so we had a funeral for her mm-hmm. in Whangarei, her, her city where she lived probably the week after I got out of quarantine. And then we were going to have a second one in Auckland the week after, but because Auckland went into lockdown, that funeral got pushed back another three months. So how long were you in New Zealand for in the end before you decided oh, to come It was back? meant to be a month. I think it ended up being four months because of just not being able to get a flight for that long. Um, and thankfully, literally two weeks before I was scheduled to come back, um, Auckland went out of lockdown. So the last weekend I was there, we had the like big Auckland funeral for my mum. Come back. Well, actually, I don't come back. I get turned away at the New Zealand check-in border because I'm not an Australian resident. So Australia wouldn't let me in. Um, Queen- Queensland wouldn't let Queens- me in. Queensland wouldn't let me in because I wasn't. A permanent resident even though kiwis are granted permanent residency in australia but because i hadn't lived here for 12 months i wasn't considered a permanent resident yeah. um so i get turned away at the border three days later i get a flight to sydney because there was the new south wales new zealand travel bubble at the time so i came through sydney got on a flight flight to brisbane was like what are they going to do they can't turn me away when i get here so um yeah end up back in queensland via sydney and then go into the two weeks quarantine here yeah so just to clarify Um, you're working remotely whilst in new zealand is that what you're saying yeah i effectively moved countries three times that year because i took all my computer and gear to australia and then bought it all back during covid and it was a big gaming box style computer not just a laptop or a, a mini pc kind of thing and were you still paying rent um, in Australia? Three suitcases both ways. Uh, oh, God. No, I don't think I was. I think they let me have it off because the, the couple I was living with, a lady owned the place. So it was a bit... Was there any part of you that was not going to come back to Australia? Did that thought cross your mind at all in those four months? No, nah, never. So you come back, things slowly ease as far as the world of COVID goes. Um, sports pick back up, yep. sports start playing again. Work starts to continue on. Um, how did you find now that you'd started to get a role on being physically at game and, and working at game, uh, the exposure that you were getting hands-on design and, and sportswear manufacturing? Yeah, I was I was loving it. Obviously, you know, we built quite a good friendship and, and the people at game, you know, I became good friends with and 
having it being manufactured on site, it it gave me an insight into everything from the design to okay now how's it printing and you know i could talk to sewers about how the garments were put together and what they needed from me to make things easier and you know ask them could i do this because this is something i want to do and um tried to get a little bit of pattern making done was able to sort of work with some mid-tier sort of pro teams so that gave me an insight into that higher level stuff and yeah, loved it. <laughs> and, and then, and so how long were you there for? God, when did I leave game? Uh, end of July this year, wasn't it? Mid, mid July, 2022. So I was there for two and a half years. All up. Yep. And an opportunity comes knocking. <laughs> yes. Old mate. Number three on the, or number one, who knows, on this podcast. <laughs> Just before we get to that, I, I want to ask, um, you guys obviously worked together for how long? How long was it? What did you say? Two and a half just years? Under, is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, just under two and a half years. Yeah, so two from years. The beginning of 2020. Yeah. Were there any, uh, any blow-ups, any arguments, any awkward moments between you two? I've always wondered. No. Nah. I don't think so. We've had we've had disagreements. We, we've but not even we've that bad. Like, okay, we disagree on does this look better or does that. But I don't think there was ever like, like I don't think I certainly never left work and thought, "Fuck, Mason's a cock." You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I thought we um, we worked together pretty well, and okay, you like raglans and I like sedans, but so what, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think we ever had a blue. There were certainly times where you pissed me off. I'm sure there were times where I pissed you <laughs> off, but the relationship was in a way where it's just like, oh, righto, move on. Yeah. Keep it going. It's your project or my project. I'm not going to tell you what to do. And I'm, I think I'm very, uh, like I respect the hierarchy of wherever I'm at. So I felt like I was the junior. So I, I thought, okay, oh, I was the junior, but I also felt like, okay, this guy's had, five years more experience than me he's worked here forever like so i'll respect that and and take mm. on board whatever's being said yeah i'm yet, yet to see any evidence of that but uh <laughs> let's, let's talk about your next venture then mate <laughs> yeah yeah so um god what was it may this year yours truly comes comes knocking and says we've got this junior role at by this point i was the senior designer at game um We've got this junior role working with some of the pro team stuff and, and looking after all our big schools and um <clears throat> yeah, went through all the sort of process with, with Dynasty and um yeah, moved over to Dynasty late July. And uh hearing you say that you never left work uh thinking what a cockhead Mason was, I reckon that uh, <laughs> the first week we spent together each one of those days you would have gone home thinking what a cockhead I am. Especially in three of the days I towed you up in FIFA. But um, yeah. One day, three games. <laughs> so no, how, have you, how have you found that? Obviously, um, you know, I wasn't sure how much pro team stuff you'd get your hands on. But, you know, looking back over the last few weeks, you've actually, you know, been able to sink your teeth into some some pretty cool stuff, which is which is cool. Yeah, so same, I thought, you know, I'd 
get the occasional training jersey once a year here and there. But no, um, yeah, Dynasty's been a, a huge change of scenery and, and way the way I'm used to working. Um, obviously, being an offshore manufacturer, the the whole process changes. And I think it's opened my eyes to or getting my head around the amount of things I can actually do now is pretty crazy. Obviously being game, being Australian manufacturer, you got to worry about the price a lot more. Um, but the, the sheer amount of things that I have access to at dynasty, um, something I still haven't got my head around and some things I don't even think about that I can do. Um, and then just, yeah, changing over from Corral to illustrator was a big one. And the way the processes works, a big one, different, way of managing files and, and stuff like that haven't i heard about it um <laughs> and so we, kit, we kit brief... doesn't even know what a symbol is mason or how how good a symbol is there's symbols in illustrator mate i have yeah, no idea I, what you're talking about i know they're in there but <laughs> the, the the quote was i don't know when you'd ever you even need to use a symbol not in what we do maybe on print files and stuff like that but um <laughs> we we have we have a I think at game you said you had all your different garments in the one file, whereas we saved yeah. them on separate ones. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was funny hearing uh, hearing you talk about having taken two weeks off, uh, two weeks leave <laughs> when you first joined game as well, because you did the exact same thing when you yeah. you joined us and disappeared for a couple of weeks. Funny because there was no nationals between the twenty twenty edition in march and then the 2022 edition just been and yeah funny things eh? exactly the same thing happens three weeks of work and then two weeks straight off for a tournament so and so there's been a, a team in particular which um you're able to really uh you know imprint some of your designs on um which unfortunately we can't we can't touch on exactly who it is because it's yet to be announced but um you know what was that experience like and you know do you think it's are you excited to see some of that stuff come into fruition given the sport that it is yeah, and, and yeah the super that it excited. Is? um i think the sort of aesthetic that we've we've gone for and or been sort of asked to go for is not exactly down my alley but but pretty close and it allows you to be super creative and um and do something a little bit different to what's been seen in the tournament before. Um, so yeah, that was super fun. Um, keen to keen to see the range, and obviously you've had a big hand in it, and um, the teams had a big hand in it as well. So some things <laughs> have changed, <laughs> um, but no, some of it's it's it's, it's going to be exciting to see. So Nick, so. So it was a real tug of war working on this range, and Nick obviously went down to to nationals for a couple yeah, of weeks. So I, I missed out on the tug of war. I was sending him a couple <laughs> of messages and going, "Boy, boy, 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 wait till you see how they've massacred my boy." <laughs> and, uh, basically, uh, it was Nick did a lot of lot of the stuff. I did a, a, a little bit of it. I don't know. It was probably seventy thirty or something like that. Maybe even more to, towards Nick's. You know, tilted towards Nick doing the design, and um, 
It was funny because when he returned, the only things that had survived the cull were the designs that he'd done. Everything that I'd worked on basically just got thrown out the fucking window. So, um, you know, I have to keep one eye one eye open on this one. He might be gunning for my fucking job if he ever stops whinging. Yeah. <laughs> whinging and complaining about Corel Draw and where things are saved and how things are saved and this and that. So. Learning uh, getting used to things. <laughs> hence why I was asking Mason if there are any, any blow-ups between you two, but Mason's obviously a lot nicer guy than I potentially am. <laughs> I'm a very patient man. Yeah, I didn't know Illustrator or Corral back then, so I didn't have anything to argue against. What, mm. did you just work on Photoshop? I, uh, I worked in Illustrator, but I, within probably a week or two of working at Dynasty, I was already better than I ever was, so... I was never right. that amazing at it. Yeah. What, so what do you think, from where you are now, what goals do you have? What, what's an ambition that you have? What, you know, fast forward three years, what, what could you be working on which would be almost, you know, pinch me, pinch me, I'm, I'm, I'm work, you know, working on my dream? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, I sort of said from six, okay, I'll work for Adidas at one point, and that's, you know, that's whatever at this point. It's it's can I work on big pro teams and can I take lead on some of them down the track? And, you know, where can I, can I, at you know, where can I push myself to throughout Australia and, and around the world? Um Definitely excited if, you know, if I could ever work on some Super Rugby stuff or, or for the New Zealand teams or... Um, All the All Blacks, just say it. <laughs> one day, um, that would be the ultimate goal, but... Will you uh, feel cheated if you get to work on the All Blacks, but it's not with the stripes? <laughs> like, is it, you honestly, did, yes. You did, honestly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember that. I, I, I remember that. I if the opportunity comes, you might not be getting it now, boy. <laughs> you just right? <laughs> nah, look, it would be working on the Blues would be pretty special for a guy who was a Blues fan since three years old or as long as I can remember. And that's the Auckland Blues, none of this New South Wales shit. So I think, yeah, that, that pretty much sums up where, where we've gotten to with you. Uh, what, what would you say overall are some of your proudest design moments that you've worked on or um, been a part of? Yeah, well, this stuff that Kit and I were sort of just mentioning, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, it's one of the, the biggest sort of, well, I guess most high-profile teams I've ever worked on. Um, but probably my sort of favourite project was a, a little rugby club in locally in North Brisbane. Um, it's called the Albany Creek Brumbies, and Mason, you'll know how much passion I put into this one. Um, mm-hmm. yep. But yeah, it was a, a team that I lived five minutes from, and you know, we signed a three-year contract with them at game, and um, I basically took lead on that, and everything they've worn, ever produced by game, was, was me, and... Um, yeah, going through making that whole range and I eventually ended up coaching at the club as well. So uh, a lot of passion went into that one. Overall, I guess, where do you like to pull your inspiration from or where do you look to when you're coming up with concepts or ideas? 
Um, I guess I'm kind of the footy headlines resident guy on this podcast, so probably that's I'm not really on any of the big forums like Big Footy or, or whatever in Australia. Um, but I, yeah, look a lot of sort of the leaks coming out for for next year and follow a bunch of guys on Instagram that just release concept kit after concept kit. So that's a lot of where I get my inspiration from. Uh, another one is I always sort of look at the MLS because that's always seems to be a yardstick of what's coming in Europe sort of six months to a year down the track um, in terms of football. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's always interesting seeing the MLS releases um, for me. Uh, regarding trends, are there any real likes or dislikes you you gravitate towards from a design um, perspective or a garment perspective or even just a brand and marketing perspective? I guess my style of design, sort of what I like and what I gravitate towards is sort of that sort of tonal, highly detailed but subtle graphics on a shirt. Um lots of texture and grains and, and stuff like that layering. Um, and then I always see the sort of garment construction as part of the design. So I'll always consider the seams as part of my design and where are the seams going compared to where are my graphics going and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and then like the fit as well, you can make a design look great just by having it fit properly. Even, you know, if it didn't fit on someone else, the same design might not, not look as good. Um, dislikes, I don't really have, like, a specific thing I dislike in terms of design. Um, it's more just if I don't like something, I have my reasons for it. Um, I guess, like, asymmetric stripes on a jersey, they've got to be a central stripe rather than two stripes meeting in the middle or... Um, yeah, everyone knows I prefer Seddons over Aglands, so yeah, nothing too much in terms of dislikes, like specifically. Well, mate, thank you so much for uh, having this conversation today. Uh, obviously, there's a fair few personal things in there that, that you've disclo- disclosed, disclosed. Um, so yeah, we really thank you for for being really open open in that aspect. Uh, you know, really excited for you actually. Um, for you, you know the opportunity that that you're at now with Dynasty, and you know even hearing just now some of the projects that you that you're working on. I know it's the next step for you, your evolution in the industry, and uh, who knows what's down the line. You know. Maybe Dynasty does pick up New Zealand rugby in the next, you know, few years. And if you haven't put your foot in it, you might get that opportunity to <laughs> reach reach that dream. So, yeah, mate, I definitely yeah. think this is where you're supposed to be and, and I'm super stoked that you're having that opportunity now to work in the pro team space a lot more and... Yeah, now things work are, on this podcast. Things that <laughs> is the, probably the biggest highlight, right? <laughs> things things are going pretty well, and you know, every everyone I talk to, and they sort of ask, "What do you do for work?" It's it's always a different story, and um, yeah, I certainly love what I do, and you know, I get to wake up every morning and and do my hobby as as you guys do. So, um, 
yeah, loving life at the moment. If it's a hobby, mate, um, you can give me a salary. <laughs> mate. I don't mind. You, you've got much more, much more than me, I'm sure. Man's got to eat. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, again, thank you, Nick. Uh, Thanks, and thank boys. you. Thank you also to the, 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 the listeners. Um, if you've liked what you've heard today, uh, please subscribe. We've got plenty more guests on the way who work in the, the sports creative and, and apparel industry. Obviously, feel free to share the pod with uh, any of your colleagues or friends who are also in this niche that we work in. We would um, definitely like to broaden our listenership and, and build a, a community of designers and creatives in our space. So don't forget to leave a review and some stars on your preferred podcast app. 11. Oh, he's calling it 11. <laughs> 11 for that one. <laughs> 11 stars. Uh, and 11 yeah, on the again. jersey. Yeah, we've touched on it. You narcissists have lots of your own uh, <laughs> jerseys and stuff framed and in, on the hanging on the wall and this and that. So Nick is actually referring to a Bassett 11 jersey. That's why he wants 11 stars to be rated. His New Zealand representative, American football jersey. Thanks for listening, guys. Sorry, it wasn't about design and more about me, but there we go. Thank you, Nick, and uh, toodaloo, everyone, and subscribe to my OnlyFans. And also the podcast, apparently.